500 years ago, the church was off the beaten trail. And a guy by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 theses against the church because he wanted to see what is wrong and fix it and get it right. His intention was never to leave the Catholic Church. And also 200 years before him came a guy by the name of Wycliffe who told the Pope and the Cardinals that what really was our true frame of which we're a reference for authority is the Bible. And before him, Huss. And Huss, of course, lost his life. But out of that came a wonderful set of principles called the solas. The solas are basically principles that should guide our church. We hear about the sola gratia, means we're only by grace. And sola means only in Latin. <clears throat> and so we started out with sola gratia, which is that we are saved by grace alone. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Sola fide, but we have to have faith in the grace that Jesus Christ has provided us. Sola Christos, which is Jesus Christ, is our only source of authority and salvation work. And sola gloria, which is to the glory of God alone, is which we live our life. And then there was the sola scriptura. And that means scripture is our authority for life and help. And what we find here today is, is that Paul understands that way before those were even brought into existence by our minds, Paul knew the need for the scriptures. We need to use the scriptures in our own lives to be the guide and principles for our lives. Because otherwise what happens is we don't grow. We wind up small children in our faith. And then when the crisis hits, we don't know how to act or we don't know how to live. And we wind up in deep trouble. And so Paul, along with the reformers, stood strong and said one of the biggest things we need is the scriptures in our lives. Not only just knowing it or having it intellectually, but deep in our hearts so that we have it by faith stuck in there. And that it works on us every day. One of the problems the Corinthians were having, they were immature people. They were fighting over some ridiculous things. And I've seen churches fight over ridiculous things. They also had no morality. They still were doing some of the things that they had done in the past. On their way home at night, they would stop at the temple prostitutes and go there. They would also find themselves in other situations with drunkenness and all kinds of sin. And then they also struggled with mortality. And so Paul comes to them and he says to them, you need to be carnivores. You need to be really eaters of the word of God so that you can be nourished. My granddaughter right now, she's 11 months old and she's been doing milk for about six months, but now she's been eating solid food and she's getting stronger and stronger every day and she's walking now and it's exciting to watch. But if she stayed on milk, she'd be very weak, probably wouldn't be walking yet, probably wouldn't even be crawling. But because she's now taking solid food, she's growing and developing very well. Hope she doesn't develop like her, uncle, her grandfather. But Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you guys need to be carnivores. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, and you were, able, were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. 
For since there is no there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and another is Apollos, are you not mere men? And what he's saying is that you're being immature. You're making issues out of nothing. And he said, you need to have the milk of the word of God now develop into the meat of the word of God so that you don't fall into these disagreements and you don't let things carry you out of control. But instead, you need to have the full meat of the word of God so you can be mature and that you can deal with the crisis of life as mature Christians and as Jesus Christ would and not as children. Because you're still acting this way. Paul had spent a year and a half with the Corinthians trying to care for them. And then right afterwards, he had to write a, a letter to them because they were not behaving as Christians. And here he had nurtured them according what he says here with the milk. But now they were supposed to be more mature and they're still not there because they're not feeding on the word. Their diet is terrible. And Paul says to them, you need the word. Why is it the problem we have in the church today? It's so easy for people who want to go to a church to be entertained, but not feed on the word of God. And today here we have it. Paul is saying, you need to take the word of God and not just read it. I've known people who can memorize scripture. I know people who know about it, but they haven't taken it into their hearts and wants them to have the spiritual discernment. And how that happens is that you take God's word and you open it. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, when we do this, it's like a sharp knife. It cuts us deep. It goes in real far and does surgery on our hearts. When we come to God and we get on our knees before him reading the word of God, we need to ask, Lord, show me the areas I need to clean up. Show me how to change. Take that sword of the spirit and go in there and dig out the bad poison that is causing me to act this way. And take that double-edged sword so that I can be a man or a woman of God. It's so easy because what happens is a lot of times people do things. They not only do sin, but they fall into certain traps because they have not dealt the hard work of the Holy Spirit working with the word of God in their heart. And they wind up doing things that are so sad that they never meant to do in their lives, but they got caught into it. I know a gal. She came to me one time in my office. She had just gotten back from New York with her friends and she had a problem that she made a huge mistake on. She loved her husband, loved her family. But she was in New York with her girlfriends and the girlfriends came back early and they left a day early. So she was by herself in this motel and she thought, oh, I'll just go down and have a drink at the bar. And she did because she was lonely. She needed somebody to talk to. And as she started talking with this guy, he befriended her. They wound up going up to her apartment for a drink. And all of a sudden, you know what happened? It was sad because it broke her heart. She never intended it to be that way. And she dug deep in her heart. Why did I allow this to happen? And she came to me and she went to a counselor and they unearthed this thing that she had allowed herself. As a child, she was in a big family and she was always ignored and she was always so lonely. And she allowed herself to get sucked in with this fellow because she was so lonely. And she wound up doing something that she never intended to do or hurt her family. And you see, this is why the word of God says, take the word, 
Go deep inside and ask yourself the questions, why do I do such things? Why did I allow myself to get caught that way? Why did I not obey you, God? Show me, Lord, so I can do it better and I won't do it again. See, this is what the word of God does. It comes inside of us and it tweaks us and it lays open our hearts so that we will do his good. And that we will realize that the scripture is such a joy to have in our hearts. Because it frees us from a lot of the pain of life if we let it do its surgery on our hearts. And that's why Paul wants us to become hard carnivores. He wants us to dig deep into the word and understand it. Because there's a lot of things that happen in our lives. And that we understand the scriptures for who they are. How many of you have ever had it? Where you as a good Christian were helping somebody. And then you tell them something. And they say, well, you're being judgmental. And then we hear the verse. Judge not that you be not judged. Whoa. Really? And you realize the Bible says there, yes, Jesus does say that. Judge not that you be not judged. But what he's saying there is this condemning, judgmental attitude. But it doesn't tell us to stop discerning. You see, and what we're doing is we're trying to help somebody, a brother or sister who's struggling in their lives, and we need to help them see they got to stop this. Well, you're being awful judgmental. I did this one time with a person and I wound up Finding their keys on the top of my car where they worked. And they said they never wanted to be there again because I was so judgmental. And I was just confronting her about an issue that she was having and that it was wrong. And Jesus there says, yes, don't be judgmental. And I wasn't condemning her. I said, what did God say? You're being judgmental. No. What does God say? I'm not the one who's the judge here. It's God in your heart here. And they got very upset with me. And see, Jesus doesn't stop there. See, this is the sad part about that passage. People, if you're immature, you're thinking, yeah, I got to stop confronting them. No, the Bible says there, don't be judgmental. Don't put them down. Tell them they're gross. No, it says, judge not that you be not judged and watch out for your own self. But then it says, so you don't cast pearls before swine. And what it is saying, you've got to be discerning. You want to help them to grow and mature in Christ and do what's right in Christ's life. That's what we want. And when you do that and you confront a friend, I've had several times I've confronted people about sin. And let me tell you, if you're going to be that brave, you better be brave. because And trust God and go prayerfully because when you confront somebody, they're not going to like it. And they're going to say those things. But you understand. What Jesus is saying here is that you don't want them to sin anymore because they're hurting themselves with God. And so that's how we do that. Some people say, well, I read another passage that bothers me, Pastor Dave. When Jesus says to, in Luke's gospel, you got to love, your love for God is so great that you, it's as if you hate your mother and father. Now, Jesus is not saying, hate your mother and father in that passage. So, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that if you love Christ, 
your love should be so great because of what he's done for you, for his love and salvation, that it seems as if you don't love and you hate your mother and father. And the love that you have for your mother and father should be nothing compared to the love that you have for God. And some people stumble over that and don't understand that. But the Bible here says to us, the Bible is here so that we have the beat. And so we protect ourselves from the bad of the world, from the attitudes of the world, and that we really stand firm for God. The sad part about it, we also understand that we need to hold on to the word. You know, sometimes men can make some great pronouncements, but then they fall apart. We all know what we're going through as a denomination, as our church right now. We're trying to leave the denomination because of their stand on homosexuality. And we love homosexuality. I, I, I have a lot of friends that are homosexual that I really care about, but I'm concerned about their eternal welfare. And I see that. And I got relatives that I'm concerned about their eternal welfare because they are there too. And we're not helping them when we're saying it's okay. And one of the things I was excited about our denomination five years ago is they made the, the decision that marriage was between a husband and a wife. Now, we all know in our culture today, that's a problem. And yet they came down with that. But then three years later, the decisions they were making were not saying that anymore. And they were saying, well, we can have this group and this group, but we all can be one. No, we can't. We have to stand for the truth of what the word of God has to say, because that's salvation. And without doing what God says, we are in trouble. And we are not only putting ourselves in peril, but we're pitting all these poor people who think they're doing good when they're not. And we love them. And we're concerned if we really have a burden for them, we will be concerned about that. Because the Bible says what God says is absolute. It doesn't change. We can't have a, a feel-good group and try to fix it and maybe make it not so. God, why don't we just change that? No, he says something that's absolute. It stays forever. And so we're not doing anybody any good if we try to change it. And so we're called then to follow God's word. Feed on that word. Stand on that word. Do not be afraid to be alone to stand on that word. And then we understand that we're servants. That we are all together in this together. We all provide the, the, the opportunity to share our lives with other people and love them in Christ. But we're the ones who bring it to them. The Holy Spirit uses us the way we live, the way we act, and the way we speak about the love of Christ. What then is Paul's? What then is Paul's? Servants, though they whom they believed, even the Lord gave opportunity for each other. I planted Apollos water, and God has caused the growth. And what he's saying here, we all have our different attributes and abilities that we have to use. And we use them as one, as servants, working together to bring this world salvation, to bring this world freedom from the, the, the undercurrent that we have of this dark cloud of, of fallenness away from the world. And that's where it comes from, through Jesus Christ. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. So we work together. But each one received his own reward according to his labor. 
We're going to receive a reward for what you do for Christ. When you sow it out there, you're going to receive a reward. And we are fellow workers in, this, in God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. But each one must be careful how we build it. And so the quality is so important that we want it right. We want it God's way. That's the only way it is. And that we have diversity in doing it. We all do it in our own way, our own personality. We also have a unity of purpose, though. We want to honor God. And we want to do it his way, not our own way. We don't make this up. He's got it in the book. And when we understand the book, our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we live our family lives, the way we work together, this labor is a labor of joy because he gives us the instructions about it. And that we can fill our hearts and lives and our children and our family with this joy that he gives as we work together as a team to bring glory to God's name. He'll give you gifts. He gives you talents to use for the glory of God. Some people I know. I had a lady that I didn't even call on that she had died in her apartment. She was in a wheelchair for the last 20 years of her life. She was a shut-in. She sold her car and lived in that wheelchair. And yet she belonged to a church here in town that was a large church. And yet when she had their funeral, it was huge. You know why that was? Because she didn't leave her disability to hold her back from glorifying God and being used. And when she died, the church was packed. Do you know why? Because she asked the pastor for the directory of the church. And she would call people and kept books, a prayer list. And she'd pray for them. And every once in a while, she would call them and follow that up. So that they felt connected with this large church that is anonymous. But that they felt that she was praying for them and for their exact problem. And she didn't let her disappear. You see, God wants our availability, not our ability. He can give us the ability, but he wants us to be available. And she was willing to be available for God's glory and to be used, even though she was stuck in this little apartment with one bathroom and one room. It was a studio apartment. And yet she glorified God and touched thousands of people with her ministry. You see, this is what the word of God speaks about. And what we need to do, we need to realize you with God can be a powerhouse in wherever you live, with the people that you're with, the people that you touch. And you can bring them the joy of Jesus in your own life. One of the sad things in the Billy Graham Association, they found out many years ago, was that people would come forward at the service and receive Jesus Christ. And then they'd go back to their world and not get in a church or not involved in anything. And they would soon drop off with their faith. And finally they discovered this and they began to organize churches. Wherever they did a crusade, they went months before, but basically a year before and set up churches to come in and be trained on how to share the gospel and then how to disciple people and how to read the Bible and how to learn from it and how to pray. And they began to see much more success in their work because they discipled people. 
And you see, this is what the Word of God does for us. It disciples us that we pray for that person. Do you have anybody in your life right now that needs prayer, that's walking outside of the Lord? Pray for them. Be the servant to them. Be that servant to the neighbor. Spend time helping them. You're dropping seeds of the gospel in their lives. And that you're being effective in reaching them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nobody can control the process. And that we understand that it's God's work who saves people. But friends, let me tell you something too. We have to really have a heart for those we love. And who we're concerned about. And what happens is when we have that heart, it's sometimes discouraging. Because we see them walking away from God or not heeding what they have to hear. And it's very, it can be draining at times when you have a loved one who you really know if they had Christ in their heart, their lives would be so much better. This past week, <clears throat> I was, took uh, two guys to the mall. I do training on how to share the faith. And we went to this mall and we spoke with three different individuals at three different spots about where they were with God and their relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the process, we talked to these people and they all gave us excuses. In fact, one of them said he knew about Christ, but, you know, he's good. He's a good guy. And. As I was next to him, I got closer because I smelled that he had liquor on his breath at nine in the morning. And I was thinking, hmm, and that he wanted to help a lot of kids. And he's been coaching and doing all these things, which, you know, is great. But and then we went to another fellow and he said, oh, I'm good. I went to church when I was younger. I know what I need to do now. I'm just a good person. And then the third with the same type of experience. And afterwards, you know, I was convicted in my heart by this fellow, one of the fellows I took with me, because he really showed what the Bible says about sowing in tears and reaping with songs of joy. Because he was really burdened by the people that we went to visit, and God had lined up for us to meet. And he wrote this to me when that, later on in that afternoon. He said to me, Pastor Dave, pray for me. He said, I, I really got bummed today after we talked with those people in the mall. Some are churchgoers. Some don't want to hear it because they think they're fine and others are just rude. Then on the way home, I brought up about the people coming forward at Christian evangelistic conferences or people like the Catholics and Protestants who think they're okay because they just go to church. He said, I'm really sad. And I wrote him a little thing about, you know, how we have that sadness in our heart, but we need to continue to pray for them so that their eyes will be open to see. And he really exhibited to me what the sadness he felt in his heart and the burden he had for these people who were lost without Jesus. You know, you look around you. There's a lot of people out there who are lost. This past week, I had to do two, work two scenes, uh, two different times this week on suicides. There's a lot of broken people out there, young and old, 
My biggest sadness is when we have 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds taking their lives because they're broken inside. They don't have an anchor. They're missing it. They need us. They need us to take time and stop them and talk with them about their need for Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. We're servants. We're the people who will do anything in order to help some get to know Christ and his salvation. Because without Christ, we're all doomed. We're going to miss the mark. And we're losing many young people. It breaks my heart sometimes to see a young teenager who has killed themselves and had so much to live for and winds up taking their life because a girlfriend or a boyfriend has broken up to them or something hasn't worked out. And so Paul calls us to be servants, to be willing to do anything for anyone in order to build the bridge to Jesus and help them to see how much Christ's love is there for them. And that's why Paul says to us, build on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. For no man can lay a foundation other than that one which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, if a man builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For on that day it will show it, because it will reveal with fire, and the fire itself the test, and the quality of each man's work. If any man's work will be built on it and remains, he will receive a reward. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. You see, the Apostle Paul is speaking to us about this foundation. And about the work that we do with the gospel. And he shares with us here that there's going to be a day of judgment. That we're all going to stand before the throne of God. One of the things I'm going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is I want to encourage you all. And I'm writing a paper. And how do we deal with? How do we, number one, what does the Bible say, for instance, about homosexuality? How do we deal with it? How do we lovingly help and try to encourage our friends to consider Christ and his love for them? And how to gain victory over it? And how we can lay a foundation in their life of Jesus Christ? And that's a difficult issue because it's very traumatic for some people. But we are called to build on Jesus Christ. So we don't have to fear. He's our solid foundation. That's whom we stand on. And that's how we love people is through him. And yes, there will be people who reject us. But our security should be in Christ. And we just lovingly accept their anger or their hurt and frustration to us. And that we keep the peace of Christ within. But then also too that we understand and you understand. You're doing a very big work in their life. I don't know if any of you have done it. But over on the east side at New Life, New Springs Church. Every Halloween they have Judgment Day. I don't know if anybody has gone to that. It's interesting. Because what they do is they have all these people come. And they basically do this judgment house. And basically is people who are standing before Almighty God. And what will happen to them. And it's a series of things that they go through and they do. And the Bible says to us folks in Revelation. That there's going to be a big white throne. At the end of this life. 
And there's going to be God's judgment. And Jesus is the judge on that day. And there will be two judgments. Number one is a book that will be opened. And it's called the book of life. And those who have accepted Jesus Christ will stand before him. And if they hear their name, they're accepted in eternity. The others will go to hell. But then there's another book that we as Christians will realize. And that's for our rewards. And that our things that we did for people and the things that we spoke to them about and those things are going to be also looked at. And the things that we did for Christ will last and will receive crowns for what we have done for Christ. And there will be a great reward for us as Christians for all that service that we have done in Jesus' name. And that the quality of our lives will be rejoiced by the angels. You see, and when we're built on that foundation of Christ, we have not a worry, not a concern. And all things will be judged. Now, one of the things that for us will be is what's our attitude when we're serving people or trying to help them? Are we grumbling underneath our breath? Are we thrilled to be able to use by God to help somebody who's in trouble in their life and struggling and we're going to help them back on the path of life? Are we also trying to blow it off? God sees that. You see, one of the things the Bible says here is that it's not your ability, folks. It's your availability to help and bring people to Christ. And what are your aspirations? What are you looking forward to with Christ in your life? You see, we have this wonderful hope in Christ at the end of time that we will have this day of reward. And that not only will we be rewarded, but we'll be able to experience the fruits of life, all the people that we've had problems with. Maybe you struggled with another Christian or someone. That all is going to be right now. All our selfishness and all our sin is going to be taken away from us. And that we'll all be whole in Jesus Christ. You see, this is what God wants. That's why the word is important for us here in this earth. So that we can become whole. And we don't get threatened by things. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be totally whole. And we'll be able to get along with everyone there. Which is remarkable. And that we'll be able to share joy together that we've never experienced in this life. And so the Apostle Paul says this, this is the foundation that we stand on, which is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are free. We can be free to enjoy life fully at the end. But in the meantime, we are a temple. You're a temple right now. Do you realize that? The Bible here says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, set apart. And that is what you are. You are set apart by God. Because he has you in his hand. I don't know if you've ever been to Knox. To Fort Knox. Fort Knox holds unbelievable amounts of wealth. And it's got, of course, those great gold bars there with... 
scroll. And it's guarded by 23,000 soldiers. It's on over 100 acres. 100,000 acres. And all the value that's in there, the Bible says you have God's value in you. And that you're precious in his sight. And that you are a workman for him. To be used for his glory. And it says here, don't let anybody deceive you. Any man among you thinks he's wise in his age, but he has become foolish so that he's become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he who catches the wise in his craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. And he's saying to us, don't get caught up into the world's baloney. You are precious in his sight. You're of value to him. And you are, the, uh, you are a vessel of his glory. You see, that's what the temple was. It was a place where God dwelled. It was a place where God was worshipped. And it was a place of great value. And that's what you are. And what he says here, I've got the plan for you. I'll show you how to live it out. I've empowered you with the Holy Spirit within so that you can live it out fully without having the struggle. But I can give you that through his power and I make you the kind of person I want to make you to be. That's what God has done for us. And the key to all this is to be, have him as our foundation. Maybe some of you don't know that. Maybe you haven't made Christ your foundation. You know, there's a lot of people I've seen over my years and tenure in ministry where a lot of people have gone to church and they hear the preaching but never fully give themselves to it. It's like a woman who one day was invited to be the singer at this huge prestigious event in Seattle's Columbia Tower. But she forgot to send the invitation in and when she got there, she was stopped at the gate and they wouldn't let her in because they didn't have her on her list. And when she looked at the program, her name was not put on there because she never sent in for her invitation. And because of that, she was neglected. And there's a lot of great people who go to church. There's a lot of good people who do a lot of good things, but they never accept Christ's invitation. And today Christ invites us, invites you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today's your opportunity to say, Jesus, I want that. I want you to be my rock. I want to live for you every day and walk in that peace that I can have as I walk with you. And for those of us who are believers, that God wants to use you. That you have this foundation and you have these building blocks and that you need to continue to go deeper in your life through his word to make you stronger and better and whole and free from that old sinful nature that easy pops itself up. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray today for this congregation. I praise you, Lord, that you are a God of great love and hope. That you gave us the foundation, Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today they will say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive my sin. I want to stand on you as my rock.
And I want to have the assurance that if I die tonight, I could go to heaven. And I invite you into my heart to take over control. And for us as believers, Lord, that you've called us to be servants, to be available, to be willing to do, and to be able to open our hearts to you every day to take out and purge our hearts from those things that hold us back. Lord Jesus, I just pray now that you will be with these, your people. These, your temple, who contain you and bring glory to you every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let's please rise for the benediction and we can sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and forever. Amen.